Bayhill's Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series, I Won't Survive the Holidays. Lead Pastor David Fossil begins by asking if we've ever lost our smile, and because we can't find it, we have to rig something up to take its place so we'll look happy. We're reminded that there are things that just ruin the Christmas holidays and the stress builds in our lives. Pastor Dave gives us a gentle nudge as he asks, What's life all about? He points out that no matter how bad the season might appear, God wants to make you a better you. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. And if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's going to be on page... Uh, 966, page 966. As you guys are turning there, let me ask a couple questions. Help me out and put your hand up. Now, first service, there weren't many who, uh, who, uh, had done what, what I'm asking. How many of you so far have sent out your Christmas cards? Let me see. Show of hands. Oh, a couple of you. Okay, very good. Um, how many of you, uh, have the tree up or have started to put the Christmas lights out? Oh, lots more. Okay. Last question. Last question. How many of you are almost done or completely finished with Christmas shopping. Oh my God. Keep your hands up. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Make the rest of us look bad. Uh, we've just started that. We, we love uh, the Christmas season, our family. And uh, we try and do it as quickly after Thanksgiving as possible. So we have the lights out front and we don't have the tree up. We're going to try and do that this afternoon. And, um, but, um, one of the things that we were doing yesterday, Sandy was, um, you know, we've got, you know, the kids really like, you know, have some of those candy canes that go out in the front and they light up. And last year we bought a, uh, we bought a little penguin with a Santa hat that lights out out front in the lawn. And we also bought a, 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 a snowman, uh, kind of about this big and, and he lights up. It's kind of cool. And so Sandy was kind of w- rigged that together and put it back all together. And I was inside and I was working and, you know, she came in about 15 minutes later and, and I said, how's it going? And she says, we got a big problem. And I go, what's wrong? And this is what she said to me. You don't normally hear people say this to you. She goes, the snowman has lost his smile. I go, what are you you talking about? She goes, well, the snowman, he had a little smiley face and it's gone. I can't find it. And then she added this. Now I'm trying to rig something up to make the snowman look happy. (laughs) I got a question for you. It might might be a, a, a strange way to get into our topic this morning, but I think it'll make sense to you. Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever find yourself that you, I, you know, I've lost my smile, I can't find it, and now I'm having to rig something up and pretend to the world that everything's fine and everything's great? I think that happens to more of us than we care to admit. You know, this Christmas season, the holiday season, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be fun for some of the things we've already mentioned. You know, the, the you know, Christmas... Um, Christmas decorations and the Christmas trees and a lot of us like the kind of Christmas foods and the eggnog and things like that and we like the Christmas music you know we're starting to hear more of that in the month of December and we'll you know we'll start increasing and you know um you know you got to like the pumpkin eggnog latte at Starbucks and there's all these good reasons to enjoy Christmas not to mention and I shouldn't say on on top of it it's really the foundation as as believers as Christians uh, we get yet another opportunity to reflect on the breathtaking story of uh, a divine being, God, becoming man. So there are so many reasons that Christmas is meant to be good. 
But for so many of us, we, we lose our smile for, for a number of different reasons. For some of us, the Christmas holiday season can be very, very stressful. If you're a student, you, you've got finals coming up and that can be stressful. Or, or at the very least, we've got Christmas parties we're running to and Christmas plays we're running to and so on and so forth. And then very, very soon the traffic gets even worse than it is already now. And, and Christmas can be very, very stressful for so many people. It, it also can be challenging because um, many of us are... And, and essentially forced to spend time with sometimes people we don't always want to spend time with. And, you know, there's some people in our family we really, really like. And then there's other people that, man, they just they're like heavenly sandpaper. They just rub you the wrong way. And it's just hard, you know, for other people. It's exactly the opposite. They don't get to be with family um, and their loneliness is exacerbated. Maybe it's the result of a divorce and you, you used to have someone with you and, and now you don't and the kids are with dad or with mom and you're kind of by yourself. Or some people have family that are halfway around the country or halfway around the world and you know they, they, they feel like we're getting together with family and friends. Everybody's having a great time. They're the only ones that feel lonely. For some people, it can be, it can be very, very challenging and difficult. Um, for other people, and, and I talked to a couple counselors about this and, and I thought it was very, very interesting what they said to me, is that... Christmas for some can be incredibly challenging and difficult because it exacerbates or it highlights areas in their lives that they're not pleased with and aren't going well. For some reason, this season of joy makes us realize areas we're not very joyful about. So there's some of us that are, you know, I, I, I've tried to get a job. I mean, I've sent out resume after resume. I can't, I can't find one. Or... Others of us, you might have a job and you're like, but this is not where I expected I would be. I wanted that job, not this job. This is my training and my education. What, I'm stuck doing, you know, this other thing. You know, for, for others that, you know, you've been praying that, that God would send that special person that you could fall in love with and get married and that hasn't happened and you don't want to settle, but <sighs> others are married and you've been trying for a long time to get pregnant and that's not happening in it. And you don't say it out loud, but it's it's hurtful and it, it bothers you. Uh, others of us, we have kids, but there's some issue going with one of the kids or several of the kids. And it keeps us awake at night. And, you know, and, 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 you know, some of us are struggling with debt and some of us are struggling with with uh, health issues. And some of us are struggling with family tensions that are unresolved. I mean, I, we could just kind of go on and on reasons why. We've lost our smile and feel like we got to put on a face. And these areas of our life, our hopes and our dreams aren't coming true. And we're wondering if they'll ever come true. Well, really, what I'd like to do during these next three weeks is kind of go at the, the and be honest about how some of us are feeling and talk about this idea about am I, am I even going to survive the holidays? And today really land on this this idea that what, what happens when my life dreams and my life goals, they're not happening. What do I do? Where do I go? And what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to read the story you've heard before. We're going to look at it from a little bit different angle. It's the story of the Magi as they visit the Christ child in Matthew 2. I'm not going to put the verses up on the screen. I'll highlight a couple of things later. So get, grab a Bible real quick. I want you to follow along with me or listen carefully to a story we've all heard before. But like I said, we're going to try and pinpoint a couple new things. Matthew chapter 2 starts out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. 
when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. And they, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose uh, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What I want to do is I want to identify a couple areas in this passage to give you context of what's going on. Give me about five, ten minutes to do that. And then we're going to get to what do I do when my life dreams aren't coming true? A couple things I want to draw your attention to. Let's put it on the screen. Is first of all, who are these magi? Where do they come from? And what the heck is with this star? And, and can we identify what it was? Let's talk about the Magi first. The Magi appear in history in about the 7th century BC in eastern Mesopotamia. Very, very quickly, these Magi, or referred to as Magoi in that part of the world, they become the priest or, or the priestly class of this of this, of this region. So the, the Magi are term, typically referred to as the, the priests, the high priests in the area. They also, the Magi, uh, happen to be the highest uh, and uh, most educated and intellectuals of their time. They are the university professor type. Uh, they are experts in, and I wrote this down, it'll become important a little bit later on. They are experts in the area of biology, agriculture, mathematics, history, and listen, astronomy. They're one of the first groups of people that start to study the stars in depth. This is going to become important later on in the story because they've seen something in the sky that alerts them that we got to go to Jerusalem, right? Now, because they are priests and because they are intellectuals, um, their religious and their political influence grows very, very quickly. And they become the chief advisors to the court in Babylon, now, this becomes important. They're essentially the cabinet for the king. This becomes important because when they arrive at the palace and to see King Herod, King Herod is like President Obama of our, of our day. That's what he is. You don't just let anybody come in and have a conversation with you. It's because they're magi. It's because of their political influence that when he hears that they are magi, I'll, I'll have an audience with them, see what they want, right? So, so that's what's going on in, in terms of these guys. He's willing to meet with them because they're quote unquote wise men, right? By the way, you, you've heard, have you heard how, how things would have been different if they were wise women? Let me read this to you. Someone said this to me a while back. If wise women had shown up on Christmas instead of wise men, they would have asked for directions. They would have arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole and brought practical gifts like diapers and baby formula. A little bit different if it was wise women, right? Do you remember singing as a, as a, as a kid, We Three Kings from Orient Are? You remember singing that song? Fun little song. Unfortunately, everything in that song is wrong. Literally, everything is wrong. We Three Kings. Nowhere in the passage does it say that there were three of them. Nowhere. 
We infer that because there were three gifts. But when you actually look at historical records and, and the way they would travel, most likely their entourage was a minimum of 10 to 15. So that picture we have on the Christmas cards with three of them on camels in the star, uh-uh. It was like a caravan of people. We three kings. There was no way, no how that you would confuse a magi with a king. No way. They were not royalty in the least. We three kings from Orient are. They did not come from the Orient. We're told that they came from the East, not the Orient. And the East in those days is direct, is, is Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. Okay? Um, so that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. That's where, you know, um, Saddam Hussein was. That's where they came from. That region. Now, they show up in Jerusalem because they want to meet a newborn king. Now, in and of itself, that's not an unusual request. We want to see who's been born king of the Jews. That's not an unusual request. Because their kings and queens have babies, and we call them princes or princesses, and they will eventually become king or queen. It's not an unusual request. But very, very quickly, we are given a hint that they're not just coming to see any old newborn king, newborn prince. Because immediately after this, they ask Herod, where is he? Assuming it's going to be your son. That's what they are assuming. He immediately goes and speaks to the chief priests and teachers of the law and asks them, where is the, quote, Christ or Messiah to be born? By the way, the word Christ is not Jesus' second name. His name isn't Jesus Christ. No, technically it's Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. It's a description of his role, not his last name. And the word Christ or Messiah, any good Jew knew what the Bible said about the Messiah. That one day God would send a Christ. One day God would send a Messiah to free his people from bondage. What they thought and the mistake they made is that the bondage was the Roman government. He was going to free us from the Romans, us Jews. Uh, no, not quite. It's not a political Messiah that I'm going to be sending. Not yet. It's a spiritual Messiah. He's not going to just free the Jews. He's going to free all mankind and not of the Romans, but of the bondage that sin has on our souls. So there's a little bit of confusion in terms of what the, the Jews are expecting, but there's no confusion with Herod. None whatsoever. That's why he's so upset. Because he knows, uh-oh, someone else is on the scene. By the way, have you ever wondered, how did the Magi know he was born? Where did they get that information from? They were spot on. How did they know, especially that they were part of a different religion, a different faith, did, did not believe in the Old Testament Yahweh God, how did they know? How did they get it spot on right? There's actually some very strong hints in terms of discovering why they knew that the Old Testament spoke of a one true God sending the Messiah. Let me show you. Let's put the next slide up there. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, here's what we read. The first couple of lines are speaking of Daniel. It says, there's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Notice that the word gods is small g. It's because in that culture, the Babylonian culture, they have hundreds of gods. And they look at Daniel and they go, well, he's super special, so he must have one of these quote-unquote gods working in and through him. 
In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, now I've highlighted and bolded it for you to help you understand. King Nebuchadnezzar has appointed him, Daniel, here it comes, chief of the, do you see it? Of the Magi. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as magicians. New Testament, they've already been referred to as Magioi or Magi. He's the chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind. If you don't know the story of Daniel, he's a young Jewish boy that grows up in captivity in Babylon. Little by little, because of his intelligence, he grows to the ranks and he joins the Magoi or the Magi. And he so excels in that group that eventually he becomes top dog chief of the magi now guess what this jewish young man teaches his group of magi he teaches them about the one true god that one day will send a messiah in fact if you look later on in daniel he prophesies to them about this messiah there is even a hint that there may be even a star in there how does the magi how do the magi know that a coming messiah is going to come from daniel Years and years and years ago, they remembered. They remembered their leader and what their leader had spoken of that one God would do at one point in time. And so they begin to follow a star. What the heck is with the star? A lot of confusions. We don't even think about it. What was it? There was something in the sky. There are four possible options. Let me show you number one is a supernova. You hear this in sci-fi movies and things like that. What is a supernova? A supernova is actually a very, very small star that explodes. And when it explodes, it increases its brightness by about a thousand to a million times. Now, it could be this. The only problem is that a supernova appears very, very quickly and then disappears. So it's not very likely that this is what it was because it was in the sky for quite a while and they followed it. The second option that was proposed is is that it was a comet. We've all heard of Halley's Comet and things like that. Halley, it's interesting that comets are made out of out of ice and dust. They're made out of ice and dust, and they have this this proverbial little tail. Now, it's nice to think, in fact, when we see pictures of the Magi in any kind of book or anything, they assume it's a comet because you always see the star going in a certain direction. One problem with, with the idea and the theory of a comet. For example, Halley's Comet, we know comets are predictable. You can actually predict when a comet's going to come by. So Halley's Comet comes by every 75 years. We know when the next time it's going to show up. So there's all these different comets that astro- astrologers and astronomers can figure out when is it showing up. So all you have to do is go back to the time and the, uh, when Jesus was born and see were there any comets in the sky at that point in time. And what they've determined is there were absolutely none. And if there were, we, had, we would have seen that comet over and over again, and we have not. Option number three is by far the strongest when it comes to natural reasons. The conjunctions of planets in the 17th century, a guy by the name of Kepler said this, uh, that there were a conjunction of planets. What is a conjunction of planets? It's when two big planets come together and they are so close together in the atmosphere that to the naked eye, they appear as one body. Now, all I did was go to Google. All you have to do is conjunction of the planets and immediately you'll fill in the sentence. And one of the sentences is during the times of Jesus. This is the first picture that came up during the times of Jesus. What you had in the sky was both Jupiter and Saturn side by side. And so many people go, that was it. That was it. It looks like one big body. That's what they were following. 
Option number four, last one, put it up on the screen, is that it was just a miraculous supernatural star. Now, there's no problem with it being one through three. If God chose to do that, it wouldn't change the story, how special it is. It wouldn't change any of the significance and meaning. However, I just want to give you a little word of caution. It seems like a lot of us as Christians, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, a history channel or a discovery channel type of documentary on something in the Bible, and they give natural explanation for something that appears to be miraculous in the Bible. So I saw one that talked about how, uh, how, you know, how did the, how did the sea part for the Jews to go by before the Egyptians came? And they had this big natural explanation of the, the currents and how things came up. And, and I was like, wow, that is so cool. I saw, I heard a marine biologist explain if there's a certain kind a whale they, and they've got like this secondary stomach or something and someone can actually be swallowed and live in this area of a, of a whale for a certain amount of days and that could be jonah and we sit and we watch these shows and we're like maybe that's what happened maybe or maybe god just did a miracle that's the whole point of the bible that he can pull this stuff off if he wants to and my gut reaction is in matthew chapter 2 god says you know what I'm never sending my son back again. I'm going to do this, do this right. And I'm going to make a one-time supernatural miraculous star appear that will never be in the sky again. I, honestly, I don't know what the answer is. It's more likely number three or number four, but we don't know. What we do know is that, by the way, the Old Testament, you are not to look to the stars for guidance. You do know that, right? So anything with horoscope, anything with stars... Stay away from that. Bible says not cool, not good, right? But for some reason, God goes out of his way to reach out to these pagan men to say, the Messiah has been born. The Messiah has been born. Now, what I want to spend the next 10, 12 minutes for talking to you and wrapping it up is this. What happens when we do what they do? In other words, what happens when we follow a star but we end up in a stable. Can you imagine what their trip must have been like? We estimate that they probably saw the star in the sky upwards of two years before they showed up in Jerusalem. Two years. Minimum. Can you imagine how that must have been like? Two or three of them had the night shift. And there they are, the Magoi, and they have a makeshift telescope, and they put it up into the sky, and, and they start looking around, and all of a sudden they see it. You don't even need a telescope to see it. I mean, you could see it with the naked eye. And they look at their charts, and they, they can't figure out what, what, is, what is that star. So they, leave, they leave, a little, little, leave a little note for the chief of the Magoi at the time, the, the day supervisor. You know, we saw something in the sky. We don't know what it is. I probably won't show up again, but sure enough, the second night it shows up. So they, now they leave them a, a little bit longer note. We've never seen anything like it. You, you've, you've got to stay to the night shift. And, and that's what the chief of the Magoi does. And, he, and they, there they are looking at it and observing it. And before you know it, they're having all these committee meetings about what the special star is. And then someone in the meeting says, hey, maybe it's what Daniel was talking about a long time ago. Maybe, maybe that whole Messiah thing is happening now. And they decide, we're going to have to send an expedition. Let's, let's go check this out. And so they picked a couple of the Magoi that are going to lead the expedition and begins the process of planning and the maps and the food. And, of course, we're going to have to bring some gifts and, and present it to him. And 
And there begins the journey. Of course, we don't think about it. We never see it on the, the Jesus movies, but they had to travel by night. That's the whole point. Because they had to see the star. And so by 6, 630 in the morning, when the star goes away and it's too bright out, they all stop and they have a cup of coffee. And now it's time to rest, but they can't sleep. Because they're so excited. I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder how I, I, I wonder if we, what they're going to think when we show up from halfway around the world. They're going to be so impressed with us. We're going to give them the gifts. They're going to put us up in the presidential suite for three weeks. And then and then we're going to leave and we're going to come back to our homes and we're going to be like heroes explaining to them everything that happened. It's going to be awesome. But that's not what happens. You see, they, they're following this star, assuming they're going to end up in a palace. But what they end up is in a dirty slum stable. You know, sometimes that's how life works out. You do everything right. They did everything right. They listened to God. They followed God. They did what he wanted to do. But they ended up in a stable. The worst part you could be. And some of us here this morning are thinking, that's what's happened to me. I feel like I've done everything that I should have done. But for some reason, my life is, it's in a stable. If you find yourself in that situation, what what do I do? I want to encourage you to do three things. If you want to write these down, here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. Is when you find yourself in a stable, keep looking for God. Keep looking for God. Uh, In verse 9, it says, after they heard the king, in other words, this is where you need to go, they went on their way and they continued to, to follow after and try and figure out where Jesus was. When you find yourself in a difficult, not good situation, keep looking for God as he's working in and through your life. God has not forgotten you. God has not bailed on you. God has not given up on your future. If you'll just adjust your lenses a little bit, he's right there next to you. He's right there with you. I got to tell you, there's one thing that ticks me off from this story. It bothers me to no end. And, And here's what bothers me. You've got these magi that come from literally in those days, halfway around the known world. They show up and they say, you know, this Messiah that you Jews have been waiting for. We think he's here. We read. We think he's here. He's arrived now. So they give them directions on where to go. By the way, they get the directions from the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And so they head off to Jerusalem. You know what bothers me to no end in this story? That no one followed the Magi. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about as a chief priest and a teacher of the law, all you're waiting for is the Messiah. That's what you're waiting for. And yet, when they have a hint that he showed up on the scene, they don't even have the time to walk two miles and check it out for themselves. Two miles. You know what? I'm just going to tell you what I've observed is sometimes the most religious among us. When we do everything right, and yet it doesn't turn out well, we're the first ones to bail on God. I don't know why it is. It's almost like we have a mathematical formula in our head that says this. Okay, if I obey God and I read my Bible and I volunteer in children's ministry and I throw a few bucks in the offering and I show up to church at least two, three times a month and this and that and I'm a good husband. And if I do all that, 
that equals God owes me. And if God owes me, he better make my life work out good. And when it doesn't work on good, I'm done. And we stop looking for how God is working in and through our lives. And what I'm here to tell you is that you can follow a star and you may end up in a palace. But if you end up in a stable, that doesn't mean you've necessarily done anything wrong. So you better stick close to God and you better keep looking for what he's wanting to do in and through your life. As you go on in the story, it says when they saw... The stars, as they were overjoyed. And now two words I want to highlight for you. Let's put it up there. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Just to be complete, to make sure you understand and have the full picture of what's happening in Matthew 2, these two words give us a hint that the Magi did not show up on the day or the night that Jesus was born. Two reasons. The word, notice, on coming to the house, not to the barn, literally it sounds like by the time that the Magi show up, Mary and Joseph, you know, they have like a, a, a condo or they have an upstairs apartment in a house. It's not very fancy, but it seems like they've moved on from the barn. And second of all, the Greek word child in verse, in verse 10 does not mean infant or newborn. That Greek word there literally means toddler. So I don't want to ruin your nativity sets for you. You know, you can still keep the magi there. But I'm just trying to help you understand that's what's going on. Now, uh, and we're not going to change how we're thinking about the story right now. I want to highlight the most important part of the entire chapter 2. It's repeated three to four times. Herod understands they do it. They've been clear that why are they coming? It's the last phrase. It says they bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped him. There's a story that's told by Luis Palau. Have you guys heard that name, Luis Palau? Luis Palau is an um, international evangelist from south america he's just anointed by god if you ever read anything he writes and if you get a chance listen to him he's absolutely outstanding he tells a story about a a wealthy european family who wants to uh, throw a big party to in honor of their brand new baby and they're going to baptize the baby at their mansion and so they throw this big party and they invite dozens and dozens and dozens of people and they all show up just all decked out and they're looking great and and uh, they all show up and of course they greet the hosts and and right after that they take their their elegant coats off and they they do what we all do when we go to someone's house you know they're not enough places to hang it up so you go find some bedroom and and they th- you know went upstairs and put the the the, the coats and, and the furs all on on a bedroom a bed somewhere upstairs and in, in one of the rooms and so they have a party and they have the dinner and it's all very exciting and then comes the special moment the time everybody's waiting for the baptism of the infant the baby boy and it's at that very moment they're like well where is he and i thought you were holding him i thought you had him and no one can find the baby so of course the parents panic and everybody they get everybody's out look for the baby well within minutes they found the baby buried underneath all the coats jackets and furs The very object of the day's celebration had been forgotten, neglected, and almost smothered. And we do the very same thing with Christmas. You know know what? I'm not against all the fun stuff. I'm not even against Santa. I'm not. You know what I'm against? Forgetting that that's what Christmas is all about. To bow down and to worship Him. Honestly, that's what life is all about. That I would acknowledge who Christ is, why he came, and my role, his role in my life. That's the whole point of life. 
And please don't misunderstand me. The first part of the service, the first 20 minutes of our worship service on Sunday morning is not the only time you can do worship. It's focused worship. It's, 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 it's led worship. But when you walk out of this, this room, you can do that last phrase. If you treat your husband, your, your wife and your children in a certain way as unto the Lord, you can worship Christ through that. When you go to school, when you go to work tomorrow, Paul says in Colossians that if you do it as unto the Lord, you can worship him. What you do with your finances, you can worship him. What you do with your words and how to, your, your thoughts and your actions and attitudes can all be worship for Christ if you realize that everything we are and everything we do is about one thing acknowledging who Jesus is and make sure we worship him, which means nothing more than expressing my love to God. That's why you're here. Irrespective of whether it happens in a palace. Thank you. There's one person, two people that agree with me there. (laughs) Uh, Whether it's a palace or whether it happens in the stable. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do is keep looking for God. I know it's hard because it seems like life is just falling apart. Keep looking for him. He's there. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is offer God your very best. Offer God your very best. We, we've heard this story and, you know, we always, every one of our kids is dressed up with the, the shower robe and, the, you know, they bring the presents and, you know, the, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh and they give them his, their very best. You know, I, I have this weird idea and thought that, that I wonder if they were tempted to hold back on some of the gifts. You know, they go to a palace, you're expected to give big, expensive, extravagant gifts. But then they end up in a slum. And when I mean slum, I mean slum. Whether it was a stable or an upstairs apartment that they were living in, Bethlehem is not a place you want to be. In fact, there's a hint of it in the chapter when he says, by no means are you least among Judah. In other words, it was not a place you wanted to grow up. It's not a place you wanted to live. You want to move out of it as quickly as possible. And I just wonder... If when they arrive there, whether it's the stable or the upstairs apartment or wherever Mary and Joseph were, I wonder if one of the magi leaned over to the other one and said, let's just give them the frankincense and keep the rest. They're fine with just the frankincense. But no, it seems like they give everything they got. They offer God their very best. As extravagant and as expensive as it is. Speaking of expensive, one of the things that my kids have done for years, not so much the older two now, my younger one, Julia, still does it. But it seems like in November when we get catalogs, whether it's Toys R Us or, you know, stores that they like, they get these catalogs and they start to hold on to them and they start to highlight or circle everything they want for Christmas. So Julia did that like three weeks ago. She, I don't know where it was, Justice Store or something like that, some store she likes. And she was circling all this stuff that she gave it to Sandy. She goes, this is what I want for Christmas. So Sandy opens it like every page. There's two two things circled. She's like, girl... She goes, this is a lot of stuff. And then she asks her, she says, how much do you think we spend on you at Christmas? And Julia looks at her with a straight face. She goes, I don't know, like a thousand or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, a, not a thousand or something. But, you know, I might not be able to do everything for all my kids, but you better do everything you can for your God. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and I, I've shared this with some of you before. I, I can't go through this story without saying it, is there's this this idea about what the gifts represent 
And of course, we know they're incredibly valuable. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about what Mary and Joseph did with them next week. But let's let's put this up on the screen. Notice you got the gold, frankincense and myrrh. And what were they used for? The first one, we all know gold. Some of us have gold wedding rings or whatever. Gold is always been, whether it's back in those days or even still today, a metal associated with royalty, kings and queens. Frankincense was an expensive perfume exclusively used by priests. If you've ever seen these pictures of churches where you see them with a perfume, that's frankincense. If you ever smelled frankincense, you automatically knew the pastor somewhere around here. Let's get out of here, you know, or the priest. You knew they were in the area because it was exclusive to priests. Now, notice the last one. Myrrh is an embalming ointment used on corpses. Now, is it just me or is this an inappropriate gift to bring to a baby shower? A high chair, a stroller, a gift card to Toys R Us. I mean, what does Mary and Joseph do with that? Uh, thank you. We didn't have this on the registry, but thank you. What is going on here? Well, they probably didn't realize it. The Magi didn't realize it. But you and I reading this story years and years and years later, it, it would be near impossible to not connect the dots and realize that these gifts are foreshadowing for us the role that Jesus is going to have in your life. Let me show you. Gold is associated with royalty, kings and queens, reminding us that Jesus came to be the king of kings. Frankincense, a perfume used exclusively by priests, reminding us that Jesus is meant to be your high priest, to comfort you, to encourage you, to be the one conduit between you and God. And the last one, and by far the most interesting one, as awkward as that gift was back then, Myrrh and embalming ointment reminding us that Jesus came to die for you and be your savior. Those gifts certainly were helpful to Joseph and Mary, but they were meant to foreshadow for you the role that Jesus is meant to have in your life and in my life. By the way, you want to know why we give Jesus our very best? It's because God gave his very best. And I don't know about you. I'm just going to be honest with me. Sometimes when I find myself in a situation that's less than ideal, do you ever feel like holding back a little bit? Not giving your all? I mean, as a pastor, this is what we think. If it's a small gathering, if it's a small church versus whether it's a big church, it's going to depend on what you give. It shouldn't be that way. Wherever God has you in whatever situation he has you, Give God your very best, whatever that is. Don't hold, give him your very best. The last thing I want to encourage you to do is listen to God and consider changing your direction in life. The last verse of our story, it says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Of course, they did this because Herod had ulterior motives. He didn't want to worship the Christ child. And the story goes on next week, and he did some horrendous, horrendous things that are recorded not only in the Bible, but in history. They, they, they made a change and a course correction. Now, what I want to suggest to you is that if you have a genuine experience with Jesus Christ, if you come face to face with who Jesus is and what he did in your life, I'm telling you now, he's going to ask you to make some changes. That's the point. He wants to make you a better you. Question. What do you need to change? What do you need to change in your life? 
maybe a, a different way of asking is, what do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to do less of? What do you need to do more of? Jesus Christ will always expect a change from you. Always. In this case, it was directional. For some of us, it may be emotional or it may be an attitude or it may be an action. It's interesting how God motivates us. I heard about um, uh, a last story, and I'm going to wrap it up with this, a cable company on the East Coast. And they were trying to think creative ways to get their, their customers to pay on time. And they had people that were two, three months behind. And, and they, they didn't want to, to cut off their cable service because then they would lose them as customers. They did not want to turn them over to collections because, you know, they're only two, three months behind. But they wanted to get, you know, get paid on time. And so they came up with a solution. Um, they decided to take the, the channels that they gave them and, and provided for them, you know, the ESPN and the FX and the TBS and the TNT and all that, and substitute all the channels and gave them only one channel. They gave them all C-SPAN. If you don't know what C-SPAN is, that's just kind of the guys talking. and That's all they gave them. Every channel, C-SPAN. And within days, literally, they had 90% of their customers call in and pay their bill and fill. Now, my point is this. God's not going to do that with you. He's not going to play games with you. He's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to guilt you. He's just going to say this. You know what? There's an area in your life I want you to change. For your benefit and for my glory, I'm asking you to do that. If you followed a star, but you've ended up in a stable, there's three ideas. Here's the summary. Let's put it up there. Keep looking for God. Remember, he hasn't bailed on you. Give him your very best. And consider making some changes. Let's pray. Before we pray, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to ask real quick, if you're here today and... Um, you feel like you're in a stable. You feel like you're in a bad place. Uh, I want to encourage you to go over to the prayer room. But real quickly, I'd like to pray for you right now. If you don't mind, just slipping up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm in a bad place right now. I want you to pray for me. Just slip your hand up real quick. I see those hands. Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick. Anyone else? Okay. Heavenly Father, for those that put their hands up, and for the many maybe that didn't because they just don't want to. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would give them your hope. I pray that you would remind them that even though life doesn't turn out the way we'd hoped, we'd hope to end up in a palace and we end up seemingly in a, a dingy, dirty stable that it doesn't mean that we've done anything wrong necessarily. It doesn't mean that we've not listened to you or obeyed you. In the case of the Magi, they did everything right. Father, in the midst of the situation we find ourselves right now, where we've lost our smile, Father, I pray that you would remind us that even in the midst of difficult and challenging times, just like the Magi, we can be overjoyed by the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And while this life isn't working out the way we want and had hoped, at the very least... We have assurance that the afterlife is going to be perfect because of your son, Christ. Remind us that in the midst of our difficult times, you have called us to worship you no matter what. Father, we will choose to do that. Not only when you've given us good things, not only when we get our way. Father, we will choose to worship you as a way of life 
as a way of acknowledging that you are the King of Kings. You are our high priest. You are our savior. You know what's happening. You've got this under control. And while we might not understand, we trust you. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, my friends. As we are struggling in certain situations, give us a glimpse of you in the midst of our difficult situation. In the midst of our challenging times, Father, I pray that we would give everything we got. That we would honor you with with our lives. And finally, I, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit right now would whisper into our ear and remind us of the changes that we have to make. Changes that'll make, that, that will please you and that will help us. Father, I'm so thankful for this Christmas season. And I'm thankful that in the midst of the stress and the challenging and difficult times, in the midst of our stable experiences, you are there right next to us. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for giving us a second chance through him. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.